read along with me. Oh, if you can read it, it might be easier over here. Uh, Thy kingdom come. What does this mean? Certainly, God's kingdom comes of itself without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may come among us also. How does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. Hey, great job. I'm working with a 13-year-old right now on catechism, and uh, I always uh, uh, kind of fall short on the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. I got the commandments down, you know, and, and when I get to the, the creed, boy, oh boy, uh, the, the, the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, I'm, I'm proud of you. That's wonderful. This is something good to memorize, not just if you're a church work student. We'll be talking at your theological interview, but uh, for everybody, right, this is the way that the head of a household should teach uh, her children or his children, his children about uh, prayer. And thy kingdom come is something we pray for. But prayer, prayer is always a risky business because sometimes you get what you ask for. That's why in my experience, I've learned to employ caution. I've prayed on occasion, for example, for the gift of humility. And the consequences are dire. Because humility has as its root the earth, the low, the ground where I've been squashed and ground into the dirt. I'm not saying there's not a blessing there, but it's not pleasant. So be careful if you ever decide to pray for humility. Unintended consequences. You may just get what you ask for. You've read Augustine's Confessions. St. Augustine models the caution I'm talking about when he says, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. Hmm? Our Lord teaches to pray and points up the fact that prayer changes you. And if it doesn't, then his intended consequences have been thwarted, hindering your prayers. What I mean is that even in the Lord's Prayer, you've got Jesus teaching you to say, Father, Forgive me my debts, even as I forgive my neighbor's debts. Did I just say that? Yikes, now I have to forgive too. Because prayer isn't just about discipline. Filling the time or a conversation with your invisible friend, it's powerful. It changes things. It is asking of a father who's more willing to give than you are to ask. A good measure, packed firm, shaken down and overflowing. And when he gets to throwing it on you, you got to come a running back from Mo. This God, in Christ, this Lord, this Father, is no tame God, no magic transactioner, no input-output financier, no. He's a Father God who, in Christ, has snatched you out of the claws and the boiling pot of the world and the devil and your sinful flesh and placed you in your foster family, the church, and says, I will give you the desire of your heart. And I'll teach you desire. I'll teach you to pray. And dear friend in Christ, if you thought it was risky to pray for humility or chastity or even the forgiveness of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, then you're in for a treat. Kingdom come. 
Luther talks about how the kingdom comes here in this uh, catechism second petition explanation. God's kingdom comes when our heavenly father gives us his Holy Spirit so that by his grace we believe in his holy word, lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. He's talking about how the kingdom of God comes, but it's assumed that we know what the kingdom is, so we need to hash that out for a moment. The kingdom of God, the definition of this stuff. Jesus defines the kingdom by pointing to himself. God is in charge, no doubt, of everything. His regnal, royal reign is the reign of God. So when we're praying, thy kingdom come, we're praying for something that's already there. That's what Jesus says also to the Pharisees. Luke chapter 17, we don't have many verses to work through, but I think these are the the foundational ones for us to start thinking about the kingdom of heaven. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of heaven is come in Christ. It's as if Jesus is saying, who's got two thumbs and embodies, incarnates, enfleshes the kingdom of God? It's this guy. It's his Christ. It's the son of David, son of God. It's me. You want to look for the kingdom of God? It's in Christ. And that's why Mark begins his gospel by getting down to business. Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's present. It's here. Repent and believe the gospel. I'd encourage you to think about what God's kingdom demands. When Christ comes, breaks into time and history, ushers in the kingdom of heaven, in his flesh, it demands a response And notice what it is. It's always twofold. Just like the preaching of John, so also the preaching of Jesus. He says, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom demands a response. It's repent and believe. Say it with me. Repent and believe. Repentance is never alone. It comes with trusting. Trusting the king of this new kingdom. And it's not just about faith, belief, trust, and pixie dust. It's faith that has an object. It's the object of Christ, who is the king of the kingdom that has come. His kingdom come always demands a response. But what is that kingdom? It looks different than the kingdom you're used to. The kingdom of this world. That's why Jesus can say in Luke 17, let nobody say, there it is or here it is. The political structures that you can invest in. Things that show you an institution where there's some success, where things are growing. That's not where the kingdom is. It's not in things that you can see. The way that Jesus conceives of it is quite deliberate. That's why Jesus preaches its contours so vividly through his ministry. Nobody gets this right like Matthew does. It's not geographical. It's not topological. But it is political. And it affects attitude. It's a kingdom that's not like this world, where the least are on the bottom and the greatest are on the top, where the first are first and the last are last, like some great pyramid. See the triangle, the right side up triangle on the left-hand side there, where there's a lot of people on the bottom and there's very few or maybe only just one on top. He says, that's the kingdom of the world that you're used to. 
And that's the kingdom that the disciples continually argue about because they know the Christ has come. They've confessed the Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus then says, well, I'm going to go and suffer and die. And Peter says, no, you're not. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's what the kingdom's about. Learn it. And they keep on getting confused about what God's kingdom in Christ is all about. And so they argue among each other. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit on the left hand and the right hand when you come into your kingdom? Who gets to be the lieutenant? Who gets to be the fire chief? And who gets to be the princess? Who's going to be the tops in God's kingdom? And Jesus says, you're thinking about it all wrong. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 to 4. Can we read this together? At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I love bringing this verse up in Bible class because I I do Bible class and preaching in various churches. When I bring this one up, I always ask the question, why are children the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And you know the answer that I get? Number one, if we were playing the family family feud, survey says 98% of Americans know why children are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because they're so innocent and probably cute too. But you see... 2,000 years ago, we didn't worship children like we do in the West in the 21st century and the 20th century. We don't put them on uh, billboards and cereal boxes in Jesus' context. In the first century A.D., children were about as far away from the center of power as one could get. You got male citizens of property and wealth at the very top, and you get slaves and women and others at the very bottom, and that includes children. And, I mean, it, it should be obvious why. Gross, first of all. They always have that stuff coming out of their nose. They don't know how to wipe themselves, you know. When the people were coming to Jesus and having Jesus touch their children and the disciples put up the signs that said, keep off the Savior, and Jesus rebuked them saying, suffer the little children to come to me. Where did that happen? Did it happen at a public park with the swing set and the monkey bars and the slide and the merry-go-round? No. Why not? Because there were no public structures for children at that time, for children to touch, because that would be gross. They're so needy. They can't do anything on their own. They're low. They're despised. They are disfranchised. They are the ones who are as far out of center of power as one could get. And that's why Jesus brings up this offensive language, this offensive lesson to the disciples. You want the kingdom? Become like a child. You want the kingdom? Become like the one you would not want to touch, would not want to hear, would not want to see, would not want to be. Because my kingdom is not for the greatest, it is for the least. It is not for the first, it is for the last. It is not for the successful, it is for the lowly. It is not for the pretty, it's for the ugly. It's not for the living, it's for people who would die and give their life. The kingdom 
that's come in Christ is a topsy-turvy kingdom. It's a real politic, make no mistake, but it's where the first are the last, and the last are the first, where the greatest are the least, and the least are the greatest. Where the lowly and the last and the least and the lost are Jesus' favorite kind of person, which is why he says, come bring me that child and let me squeeze him. Let me touch him. That's my favorite kind of person. The kingdom is come in Christ, the kingdom of heaven, the royal, regnal reign of God, and it's real. And we need to conceive of it in certain ways, which is why the word of God tells us about the reign of God in certain ways. It really trifurcates our ideas about how God reigns through all things, through nature. We call it the kingdom of nature, or the kingdom of power. Read this psalm verse with me, Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. His almighty power, his left arm of rule, curbing sins that we would commit against each other, keeping us from killing each other and just completely wasting humanity and the rest of creation. His almighty hand can be seen in those unseen ways in which the sun continues to come up, the cycles of the seasons go on, we have good government, good weather, wife, children, all that I have and own, all this he does out of fatherly divine goodness without merit or worthiness in myself. He rules all. Even if we don't realize it, even if we don't see it, and he rules it all by his holy law. But he does let us in on it so to speak. The kingdom of God's rule may not necessarily be good news. It is like an ever-rolling flood that we will either be under or we will survive on top of choking. But the kingdom is also how God rules us in grace. Read this with me. John chapter 3. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We're talking now about the kingdom of his grace. How God rules us in Christ by his grace. His attitude toward us on account of Christ. If you can see the image there, it's a little baby coming up out of the water. This is how Jesus enlists citizens in a new kingdom. Soldiers in a new kingdom. In the Roman Empire context of Jesus' day, citizen soldiers would make an oath to the governor, to the emperor, to say, I will serve. That oath was called a sacramentum in Latin. That's where we get words like sacrament, sacramental, in our capital in California, sacramento. It was an oath that the citizen soldier would make. But this is a topsy-turvy kingdom. The way that our Lord Jesus makes citizens of his kingdom is by making an oath to them. And that enlistment happens in water and the word. Jesus says, you will have the kingdom of heaven. This is how you are in on it. Not under it that it destroy you, but by his grace, by his attitude towards us, he rules us by the gospel. And finally, we think about the kingdom of glory. The kingdom of power, the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of glory has the same king, Jesus, God's Christ, is the king of all. And that's not just all places and all people, but it's all time for eternity for you, which is why our reward is the kingdom 
come the kingdom of glory. Read with me, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. The kingdom is come in Christ. That's a fact. The kingdom is coming in Christ. It's a now, but it's also a not yet as we look forward to the kingdom to be revealed, the kingdom of glory. The when is now, and the when is not yet. And the not yet is not known. But we pray in this petition, thy kingdom come, that it may come among us as well, in the now and in the not yet. So to wrap up a a lesson on thy kingdom come, what does it mean? That the kingdom of God is coming is nothing you can stop. Let's digest that. Let's chew on that. And that means that the kingdom of God is coming is not necessarily good news. If you survive, you'll survive as a citizen in the kingdom, a survivor in the kingdom to come. A king who is a hard man, who reaps where he does not sow, who gathers where he did not scatter. It's a swift, a violent judgment and destruction by a God who will come even without your prayer, not a tame God. So be careful as you pray. For without faith, this prayer will kill you. But with faith, this is a kingdom that is coming, that is good news because it is good news for you. The citizen soldiers who have been enlisted, not by your own oath, but by the promise of a God who in Christ says, you belong to me. You are no longer a citizen of this world. For our citizenship is in heaven. Let's read it together. Philippians chapter 3. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thy kingdom come. What does this mean? Certainly, God's kingdom comes of itself without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may come among us also. How does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit, So that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity, in the now and the not yet. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, preserve us for the swift and the violent coming of your kingdom. Hasten its coming as we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Grant us faith ever to look to you in our time of need that we may be found as citizen soldiers in your kingdom, trusting in no other object but Christ the King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.